I'm not sure. I'm just guessing. I'm not sure if all of us have sensed the magnitude of what has transpired this week. God healed your pastor. Amen. Didn't he? Now I know you're saying this and I know it's not done and we're not out of the woods and there's things that need to happen. But along the course, God showed up. And for that, can we rejoice? Amen. Well, I don't know if uh, many of you know or not, but uh, Jody and I have a long history with Tim and Jonna. So we've known them for nearly 10 years. And uh, they came, uh, I met him when he was still an engineer at Tell Labs. And he just did like this. He was sitting in a seat just like you. And he got involved in the church. And then next thing you knew, he quit his job and he got involved on our staff Jonna led for, man, so many years she led our choir. Tim did what? He led our ministries, our adult ministries, and they were just a great team that uh, we were not real happy to send out. (laughs) But as we see what God has done, we're so thankful that we did. And I think you know the rest of the story, but praise God for what's happening in this place. Amen? Amen. Well, I want to do this because I know a little bit about what it means to go from rented facility to your own home. First home. I mean, can we just be like, (laughs) it opened up. People actually came. And some of you that are sitting here and you're one of the new ones, I'm telling you this, it's just phenomenal, the step of faith that so many took. So I want to do this. I'm going to do a little pep rally, all right? We're going to just get a little fired up here today. Anybody okay with that? And I want to say this, I want to, I'm so thankful for all the people who gave sacrificially, financially, so we could sit in this place. Can we give it up for them? Amen. I want to do this because I know what it's like, and I want to thank all the volunteers that make Harvest Peoria what it is. I'm talking about not just a few, I'm talking about hundreds of people doing what? Just doing ministry for the glory of God. Are we good with that? I mean, it's like this. Let's thank this. Let's thank the children's workers that are right now watching your kids praying over there. Can we give a shout out to them today? Can we thank... Can we thank those who work with our students, I mean our junior high and senior high kids and how they are mentoring and coming alongside them. Can we just give a shout out to those volunteers? You say, hey, you got to be done, man. I say, no, we're not done because we got all these people. They open up their homes and they have these impact groups and we're getting ready for these study groups next week. And we got all this going. And can we give a hand to the people who are investing in the glory of God for change lives? But you say, Ron, are you done? I say, it doesn't stop there. I say, how about that parking team? It's 12. Oh, no, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's, it's 12 below on my watch or clock. And I'm looking and they just getting me and they get us in. And I'm telling you, the service you do in Peoria, the guy took me out of the car. The other guy took the car and said, I'll have it in the front, filled up and washed for you. I can't believe they do that for all you guys. I mean, all you guys get that. You, you, you don't, you, you didn't get that. Oh, Steve, you don't get that. Oh, sorry. Let's thank the Lord for all those volunteers. Can we do that? 
to say nothing about Larry and the worship team. I've known Larry for many years and just what the Lord is doing, man. All the people give it up for the production, the worship team. Let's do it. Come on. All right. So let's think about this for a moment. All those people have certain things that they're called on to do to make this work. And some of them are even behind a camera right now and they're filming. And other people are doing what? They're teaching a third grade class. If you took a job description for each individual servant to God, it would look different, wouldn't it? Because it would have all these different tasks that we do. Somebody had to stuff the um, bulletins today. But I'm here to ask this question. If we had to nail it down to four things, I'm talking about four non-negotiables for every servant to God, what would they be? What are the four essentials? I mean, no matter what you're involved in, that we all have to be committed to these things. These are the things we can't afford to forget. What would your list look like? I think if we were the kind of church that we took a survey and it was like this, we just started asking questions and people would raise their hand and we would all say, we'd come up with all kinds of things. I'm not up for that. I don't think you are either. What are the four essentials? Open up your Bibles, please, to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Power up those iPads, yes. Use that smartphone, whatever you got. Get yourself to a Bible. We got some ushers. It looks like that they have them to hand out. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, and what we're going to find are the the four non-negotiables for what? The four non-negotiables for what I'm calling passing the baton. That's what Paul was doing in this letter. And as I stand here with the baton marked ministry, the apostle Paul was passing the baton to young Timothy. I want to pass the baton to you. I want you to not only have a clean handoff today, as many of you are, have already had, but I want you to have in your mind, who am I going to pass the baton of ministry to? Because that's the key thing, that's what's going to be necessary for continued growth in this very healthy body of Christ. But before we get going, we got to say, as we pass the baton of ministry, what exactly are the specifics that we need to do? So glad you asked. Take a look with me at verse 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Are you with me? He writes this, I charge you in the presence of God... And of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Look up here for a moment. You know what Paul's doing? He's tightening the screws. He's just like this. He's saying, you know, Timothy, i got to just tell you something. I'm going to mention some things right now that are really important. And this is the time, what? This is the time for you to kind of take note of these things. This is the opportunity for you to know what they are, but there's going to come a time when you're going to what? We're not going to talk about what the things are anymore. We're going to say, how did you do? So as you're sitting here receiving the baton, think about how I'm doing. Because there'll be a day when we'll talk about how you did. So let's get the first non-negotiable. It's going to take a while to get it because there's several verses. Look what it says in verse 2. You go ahead and tell me, what's the first word? Preach. So that means to herald. That means to proclaim. Preach what? 
the word. That's what it says next. And so it's what you're holding in your hands. It's the word of truth. When am I supposed to do that? What comes next? He says this, be ready. It's like always in season and out of season. It's like this, when people want to hear it, when people don't, be ready to preach the word. He's just like this, when it's popular and when it's not, be ready to preach the word. When it's accepted or when it's rejected, be ready to preach the word. When it's what? When people want it or they don't want it. When it's understood, when it's not. we got to be faithful to preach the word. And you say, well, that's a big call. How many would agree with me that that's a big call? It's huge. And this is what I like because the first thing that comes to our mind is, well, how do I do it? And he gives the answer right here. Look at these words. He says this, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So let's think about that for a moment. Let me try to describe exactly the relationship of each of those words because it's key to the process for you to preaching and heralding the word. How many people like to go to movies? Anybody? Yes, I know. My wife and I love it too. Imagine this scenario. You're at the movies and somebody is behind you and they're talking. I hate that. And now let's just say you are not sure what to do, but you just do this. Shh. What is that? That's the first thing. That's the reproof. Now what if that doesn't happen? What happens next? You turn around. Knock it off. Right? Isn't that what you do? And that would be the rebuke because a rebuke is what follows a reproof. A reproof is gentle. A rebuke is a little bit more challenging. Now, what happens in the text? They say the next word is to exhort. What's that? That's when the person stops making noise and then you just give them a word and you just say, and they say, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. That won't happen again. And you go like this. You exhort them. Well, next time you come to the theater, you better not do that. That's the ex- exhortation. And then you say, well, Ron, what's the complete patience and understanding? Well, that's the fact that you didn't throw your popcorn at them. Do you hear what I'm saying? But, but that's the exact process and how the words relate to one another. And that's what we need to do when we're confronting people in love with truth. And so look what remains. Let's get back into the text. Because you say to yourself, well, why do I need to do that? Well, verse 3 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and they will do what? You tell me? Wander off into? Into myths. So so they're going to get on the wrong path unless we give them this truth. So so what's going to happen here is that people are going to be more interested in happiness and not holiness. People are going to do what? They're going to be thinking about, it's about what they want to hear versus what they need to hear. Are you following me? It's the kind of preacher that's going to be like this, and he's always going to have a smile on his face. I want to tell you about some hope. I tell you about the hope of Jesus. I want to tell you about love. I want to tell you about mercy. I'm happy. Aren't you happy? I'm always happy because I'm at church. And we're happy. And I got a happy message for you. 
Because I'm a happy pastor. Are you a happy churchgoer? Because I'm a happy pastor. And I want nothing but happy churchgoers. Now, as I'm making fun, please do not misunderstand that I want a pastor who delivers hope. I want a pastor who has the joy of the Lord. But I also know that a time is coming when we can't always give people what they want to hear. We have to give them what they need to hear. How many people would think and agree with me that the time is now? And God has done this. He's raised up a pastor in this work who when the difficult word of truth comes, I want a church, he wants a church, your elder board wants a church, that you guys lean in for the difficult truth. You don't lean back. Because we're called to preach. And look what he says next though, because it keeps going. And we're still trying to dig down on non-negotiable number one. You say, is it preaching the word? Well, it's kind of like it is, but it's not all of it. Because look what he says. As for you, always be sober-minded. That means clear-headed. Endure suffering. What he's talking about is ministry isn't always a bunch of pats on the back. And then he says this. Do the work of what? An evangelist. Now, what is an evangelist? That word is used three times as an occupation in the New Testament. What does it mean? An evangelist. Are you ready? Are you ready? An evangelist is a person with the gift, spiritual gift of evangelism. Don't you hate when you go on dictionary.com and they define the word with the word? I don't like that either. So what is an evangelist? Well, I'm sure many know, but let's reduce it to its base. It's a person who is committed to giving the good news, who has an ability and unique ability that's just empowered by the Lord so they can walk into a situation and they can deliver the truth that Jesus Christ paid the penalty of your sin. He died on the cross for you. He became sin. And they can challenge a person where they understand that they have to make a decision about that for themselves. And if they neglect the decision, then they will what? They will not be right with God, but if they embrace the decision and the hope that lies in Christ, that they will be right for God, not only now, but for eternity, right? That's an evangelist, isn't it? And so he says, how many people think that Timothy had the gift of evangelism? What do you think? Raise your hand. How many think he had the gift? Okay, we got a few. Some people aren't buying in. How many people think he didn't have the gift of evangelism? Just go ahead and raise your hand. We got a few. Some of them are saying we don't know what to do. We're not voting. I have about 30% if that. You think it's a trick question. It's not. But I think, and I don't know, but I'm not sure if he had the gift of evangelism, the spiritual gift, because he said, do the work. So I don't know. But, but, but that's comforting to me and you. For those of us who don't have the spiritual gift, we're still called to do it, are we not? And we're still called to go after it, and it takes work. And he's like, do the work of an evangelist. And then what are the three words at the end of the text in your version? What does it say? Just call it out. It says to do what? Fulfill your ministry. There it is. Non-negotiable number one. Fulfill your ministry. What's your ministry? It's not about changing diapers. It's not about wiping noses. What's your ministry? It's two main things. It's preaching of the word and it's evangelizing the lost. There it is. 
That's the basics. That's what we got to be committed to, that I would preach truth and that I would do what? That I would share my story with the people God has sovereignly placed around me because not only do I want to see people to come to Christ, but I need to see people or my spiritual life is not going to be fulfilled. And it takes work. But how many picture, and I, you know you don't in this church because there is no pulpit, But when you hear that, you think of a pulpit and you think of an angry pastor beating his hand with a red face. And some of you, that's the experience you had in church. And you think of preaching the word and you're like, that's not me. Can I remind you that you have a pulpit? It may not be the one that you're envisioning that could be up here. Your pulpit may be the kitchen table where you're a father here and you sit down with your teenage son or daughter and you say, we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 13. I know you don't want to hear this. I know you've been here before. You're not willing, but I'm telling you, you're in the midst of temptation. And the word of God says that he will provide a way of escape even if you don't take it. See, your pulpit is this. Your pulpit might be, mom, when you drop the kids off and all the moms are standing around and they're talking and some of them are having coffee and, and they're saying, you know, I'm just telling you, like, I, you know, my husband is like this and I got this situation going on with this and this relationship is like this and all the talking starts going. You know what I'm saying? Old oh, ladies, you've been there. And, and see, preaching the pulpit is right there on the sidewalk. And you may say, you may muster enough Holy Spirit power to say, you know, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, that before you take the speck out of your brother's eye, in this case it's your husband, take the log out of your own. See, that's delivering truth. It may be you sitting at a Starbucks with a coworker or a friend and they're going through a real hard time and maybe they lost their job or maybe they're going through a big crisis and you say, you know what, I got to just tell you this. We're going to turn to James chapter one right now and we're going to turn here because that's where it talks about trials and it says this. It says that this is about the testing of your faith and it's going to bring endurance and endurance when it has its perfect result you will be complete lacking nothing God has a purpose for this question is it because you can't do what I just illustrated or is it because you won't see I think it's like this imagine me at home with my wife Jody. And Jody says, I'm going to see my mother this weekend. Now, we're leaving. She's leaving from Chicagoland. She's going to Cleveland. It's a good six and a half hour drive. She's going to be gone for the whole weekend. Okay, imagine this. It did not happen. But imagine this. She has gone before, but this didn't happen. Imagine this. Imagine she lays out all the things. Well, you know what? we got three daughters, and you know one of them's got to be at a piano recital, and the other two have basketball practice, and then we have youth group happening on Sunday evening. And let's not forget about this. There, I've prepared a meal for delivery for our small group, that person who's having difficulty, and you need to get it. All you need to do is take it out of the fridge and get it there by 4 o'clock. She leaves. Imagine. Didn't happen. I walk into the living room, and I say... She's gone. This needs a new color. 
and I'm going to take care of this for her. I'm going to bless her. And I get the ladders and I go to the paint store and I start working. You say, where are the girls? I say, who knows? (laughs) And, And all of a sudden, she comes back. The job is done. It's all cleaned up. I'm standing there. She walks in. I'm expecting the big smile. I say, honey, do you like the color? She says, where are the kids? I say, I don't know. It didn't happen. But if it did, how would she feel? I think she feels a lot like the Lord feels. Because I think many of us are off doing good things, necessary things. But we're ignoring and neglecting the two main things. See, good things can become bad things when they crowd out the best things. And the best thing is for every servant of God to proclaim truth and share their story. Non-negotiable number two. Let's take a look. Follow along in the scriptures. We're going to get to verse six. Paul's going to do this. He's opening up his heart. He says this. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Interesting. He uses that phrase in Philippians chapter two, verse 17. It's dripping with Old Testament imagery from Exodus chapter 29, verse 40, and Leviticus chapter 23, verse 13. It's a phrase that was used in the Old Testament as a ceremony of worship to the Lord, where the servant of God would pour out a liquid from a jar or from a glass. Many times it was wine, and it would be an illustration that they're pouring themselves out to God. Paul's like this, that's my life. My life has been poured out to him. And look at this because the end of the verse gives us a little bit of picture. He says, and the time for my departure has come. So he's on his last leg. He's almost done. He's about to get executed for his faith. And I love this, man. I hope this is going to be said about me. I hope I can say this if God gives me another 10 years, another 20 years, another 30 years. Look at verse 7 because it's the one that pops out the most. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I love that verse, man. I did this. I fought the good fight. I have done this. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's where we're going to get some non-negotiables. Non-negotiable number two is this, that you would fight the good fight. Question. When's the last time you were in a good fight? You say, well, the wife and I on the way over, we kind of had one of those things going that you were talking about a minute ago, but only ours happened. (laughs) And, you know, I still had the paint on me. And I, I just... Was that really a good fight? Last time I was in a real fight, I'm telling you this, let me take a walk down memory lane. Last time I was in a real fight, I was playing for Bowling Green State University. I was a basketball player there in Bowling Green, Ohio. We went to Northern Illinois University, and if some of those might remember that are a little older, remember the name Kenny Battle. He's a guy that went on to play for Illinois. He did a season for Northern Illinois. Then he went on to play for the Boston Celtics. Then he went on to play for the Phoenix Suns. And and so like he had this huge career. So... Kenny battles in the game. I'm with him. We're about the same height. That will play into the story in a minute. He throws the ball at me in a place that I will not mention. 
after I look up, he's standing right like this. We're, we're the same height. He gives me one of these. Right in my face. What did the visiting pastor do? I turned the other cheek, as the scripture says. No. This is BC days before Christ. Just to throw that in, all right? I became a Christ at 27, baby. I got a lot of stories. All right. So we, we, we got into it, man. And, and I'm telling you, and, and I thought it was all good. And then finally, I'm telling you, that encounter, and it's just funny because my girls, like I mentioned, I have three daughters, and, and I'm so glad Kenny Battle is not on television anymore because every time he'd be on the screen and they go, Dad, is that the guy that spit on your face? <laughs> yeah, that's him, Allie. That's him. Yeah, uh-huh. That little altercation landed me in the doghouse for two weeks with my coach. Some of you are in the doghouse with the Lord because you're not fighting a good fight. But what's a good fight? I got a list. Let me give you the first one. I think a good fight is this. Fight for freedom. Let's salute those with a round of applause who are serving our country. And maybe you know someone here. Maybe you're home on furlough. Can we give an applause to those who are fighting for freedom in the armed forces? And I, I lost my nephew, Alan, in Iraq. And I'm telling you, fighting, fighting for what? Fighting for freedom. That's a good fight. How about this one? Fighting for truth. Because that's what the Apostle Paul was doing. I would say it like this. He was fighting for the advancement of the gospel. That's what the fight that he was in. Third fight. We're just talking about this. I want you to examine some of the fights that you have been in. And do they make the list? How about fighting for protection? And as a father, I want to fight for my girls and their protection spiritually and emotionally and physically. As a husband, I'm going to fight. I'm telling you what. You're not going to get a front. You're not going to get between me and my wife. I'm going to fight for her protection. Let me slow down for a minute in an audience this big and just say this, that if you're a man and you're raising your hand to your spouse and you're hitting her, it's not okay. You're not okay. You need help right now. You need help. See, we're to fight for the protection of our wives. Amen? How about marriage? That's the next thing that I wrote down on my list is what's a good fight? I just thought to myself, well, marriage. And my wife always says it like this. Jody, she gives such pearls of wisdom. She says, fight for the we, not the me. Isn't that good? Like, let's fight for the we, man. What we need, not, not what I need or what you need. Let's, let's, let's fight for the, for the we in this marriage. How about this battle? I wrote down this. Holiness, fighting for personal holiness. I'm talking about the battle between the flesh and the spirit. 
I'm talking about the opposition that exists in you where you have a behavior you, that needs to be changed and you think it's okay and you don't think you need to press in and you're looking in the mirror and you're okay with that problem. And, and, and it's because the flesh is rising up and it's defeating the spirit, if I could say it like that. And we don't want that to happen. You don't want that to happen. Fighting for personal holiness. How about another one? I wrote this down. I'm just my list. I just wrote this. I wrote unity. I'm thinking primarily of unity in the church. Can I slow down for a minute and just say, I'm just so thankful for where we are. Aren't you right now at Harvest Peoria? I'm so thankful for where we are. I come not only giving thanks to you from Harvest Neighborville, a local body, but also Harvest Bible Fellowship. And that's the group of the organization that plants churches worldwide. And and we have so much unity happening right now. But I know what could happen in a few years in this place. A couple disgruntled people didn't like this decision or this. And you will allow personal preferences to get in the way of ministry that is essential. And you will, you will pick up a cross in the name of Christ that is not your own. And you'll go to battle with the leadership of this church. And you will sacrifice unity for something that you don't need to know, that you do not know, and that you will never know. That could happen here if we're not committed to unity. You say, Ron, you know, your list, I mean, it it was okay, but I mean, I I got a lot of other things on there. Well, that's all right. That's your list. I'm just giving you mine. And and there's a lot of things that, that are good fights worth fighting. I've just learned this. I mean, 10 years ago, the list had 15 things on it. But as I'm getting older, I'm realizing, isn't it true for some of us? It's like there's, I I don't have as much energy. I'm only going to fight for the essentials. And so that's my list. The Apostle Paul, I firmly believe his list was one thing. The advancement of the gospel in this world. That's all he was about. That there was nothing else that clouded the way. So as you leave this place and we are like boxers and church is like sitting down in between rounds. When the bell rings and you get in your car and you go home, is that fight, is it worth answering the bell for? Not negotiable number three. Keep the faith. It's listed right here. You say, I've finished the race, man. I kept the faith. It's the theme of the letter. He's talking to young Timothy, and in the context of this letter, you got to understand this. Timothy was ready. He had gotten the baton from Paul, but he was ready to bail. Timothy was ready to throw in the towel because ministry was so hard, and because there were people that were being persecuted to the point of death. He had a bunch of false teachers that came into the nice new building, and, and they were bringing false doctrine. He was discouraged. We need to do this. We need to keep the faith. And see, lots of people start stuff 
few people finish stuff. I mean, I'm talking about what? I'm talking about the simple things. I'm talking about that diet and that plan to lose weight. We started and... I'm talking about people do it all the time. I'm talking about education. Did you know that three out of ten high school students do not graduate? 2,500 high school students drop out a day. College, you're getting ready to send your kid off to college. Half of the kids graduate, half of them do not. Dads, I'm telling you, it's not good news. For those who do graduate, the average it has crept up. Now it takes six years. Who's got that money? I mean, we start stuff, we don't finish it. You say, Ron, what do you mean? I say, how about let's get a little more serious. Let's talk about fathering. 40% of all kids will go to bed tonight without a dad. That's the U.S. Census. 85% of all kids with behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. It's frightening. Kids without dads are 20% more likely to end up in prison. Let's bring it closer to home. Let's let's bring it to the church. 75% of youth leave the church after high school. 75%. Now, how how do we better that number? Well, if both parents do this, if both parents remain actively involved in ministry and have the baton and pass the baton, that number, it goes down to 93% of your kids will remain faithful. That's staggering. If one parent remains faithful and the other one doesn't, the numbers drop down to 73%. You say, Ron, where are you getting this from? USA Today and Gallup, uh, and um, George Barnapole. What happens if the baton gets dropped, so to speak, and it's like it gets dropped in the race and both parents just drop out? What's the number go to now? 6% of kids will remain faithful. Now, I'm thankful for the many people that are coming back to the faith here in this local body. The many people that are coming back to the faith in our fellowship. But we got to do this, man. We got to keep the faith and we got to serve. Amen? Amen. I know, you know, I'm, I'm going for a cheap amen. It was, a, it was a bit weak if we just had to rate them. Just saying. <laughs> Little cheap. I think there's a few people in here that's like, why should I serve? Why should I do that? Well, get your highlighters and, and circle this. Look at the final verse that we have. Paul says it like this. He says, I'll give you the reason. There's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. All right? Whoa. Well, when are you going to get that? He says, well, first I'm going to tell you about who's going to give it to me, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. What day, Paul? Well, the day that he comes back. And then he says, and and guess what? Because we're like, well, the Apostle Paul, I mean, you know, Apostle Paul, he did a lot more than I'm ever going to accomplish and do. And and, and and so we short-circuit ourselves out of the text. And then Paul brings us back in like a gentle father. He says, not only me, but for all those who have what? You tell me, what's your text say? All those who love disappearing. 
Oh, you know what the question's going to be. Do you love his appearing? Do, do you long for his appearing? Because if you do, man, I'm telling you, just pick the baton up wherever it is right now. And I'm telling you, you long for his appearing. It's worth it, man. There's reward. And he doesn't go into all the detail here, but if you're taking notes in your small group this week or your impact group, write down Romans chapter 14, verse 12. Write this other verse down. Write 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, because the Bible says a lot about the rewards that believers will get for faithfulness to Christ in the ministry of service. And we're short-circuiting ourselves, man. And we're all involved in all kinds of good things. But they've become bad things because they crowd out the best thing. Right? I, I, what, what's the non-negotiable? The non-negotiable is this. Focus on the finish, man. L- like get yourself on the finish line. That's the motivation. Paul was focused on that day that he would meet Christ. Are you? I remember when I was a kid, I, I, I started, I've always been involved in athletics, and I, um, I started running when I was in high school. My buddy Jeff Derebus, he was a, uh, he was a running back on the football team, and, and we used to run five miles a day in the summer in a place called Kirtland, Ohio. It was in the northeast suburbs of Cleveland. And it was a very um, treacherous, I say, because it was very hilly. And so we had this five-mile course that we would run. The last mile of the course was up Hobart Road, and it was about three quarters of a mile to get done, and it was all uphill. And and I used to, you're going to think this is so foolish, but I used to do this, like, I lived on Raccoon Hill Drive. That's not the foolish part, it's true. But, but I used to picture, like when I was kind of halfway up the hill, I'd picture the sign in my mind, and I'm like, I can make it. And even, it's so silly that even when I'm on the treadmill today, if I just close my eyes for a second, not too long because I'll fall off. But just for a second, what I can do is I can see that sign. It just comes up. I, I don't understand it. It's green and it's got these big letters. And When you're pressing up the hill and you're trying to save the situation and you're trying to do what? You're trying to reconcile the relationship. You're trying to take it one more mile. You're trying to do this. The sweat's drawn in because you don't know how to handle the situation that God's thrown you in. When you're looking to share your faith and preach the word and you don't think that you can. When you're tired and you're lonely and you close your eyes. Like, like, like what, what comes up, man? Are you focusing on the appearance of Christ? All right, my time is through. I'm going to end with this. I'm going to give you, you're going to love this. Say, I'm going to love it. I'm not buying it either. It's called the baton of ministry quiz. You are going to love it, whether you realize it or not. I've got four simple questions. Everybody say simple. Everybody can answer no matter how old you are. Get your pen And a piece of paper, the bulletin ready. The questions are going to be simple. You're going to rate yourself, yourself, yourself. The answers are zero to five. Five being always, three being sometimes, zero being never. You got it? 
Husbands, pick up a pen because I know your wife will do it for you and she will evaluate you anyways. (laughs) Wives, before you evaluate your husband, which no matter what I say, you will do it. (laughs) Please evaluate yourself first. Is that fair? First question. How often are you fulfilling ministry? You say, what do you mean? I mean proclaiming truth. I mean sharing your faith. I'm saying not just getting some truth for yourself, but getting it to another person. I'm saying serving and delivering it at a small group or maybe even a Sunday school class. Zero to five. When's the last time you shared your faith? Now, if you give yourself a five, then you're Billy Graham, okay? Just let's uh, paint some pictures here. Zero would be Pete Singer. You say, who's Pete Singer? I googled top atheist. He's the one that came up. So zero to five. Second question. Are you fighting the good fight? How often are you fighting the good fight? You say, what's the good fight? I'm talking about advancing the gospel. I'm talking about going after personal holiness. I'm talking about protecting your loved one. Zero to five. Third question. How often are you keeping the faith? Now, as you're thinking about keeping the faith, think about it in terms of where you go and and the place that I'm walking into. Am I keeping the faith in this place? How about people that you're with? Am I keeping the faith with this circle of friends and that circle of friends and that circle of friends? Is it all consistent? Are you keeping the faith when you log on your computer late at night? Are you keeping the faith? Zero to five. Five always. Three sometimes. Zero never. Last one is this. Are you, you could guess it, focusing on the finish? This past week, just use that as a bar. How often did you think, not necessarily about the return of Christ, like he was going to beam into your seat next to you as you were driving to work. But, but how often were you thinking about him? Is that motivating your daily decisions? Five, always. Three, sometimes. Zero, never. Scorecard, ready? Add up your points. Okay, you got your number? Nobody, do I need to give you a calculator? You got your number. Gosh, man, what the heck, man? Come on. Zero to eight. I want to thank you for taking the quiz. If you came up with zero to eight, I want to thank you. And I want to just say this. Get moving. You got great potential. I know it. The Lord knows it. He sees it. He knows. Get moving. If you ended up nine through 15, that's kind of where I fell. Then keep going. I believe your best days are ahead. And I believe God has something big that he wants to do through you, even as it is a small thing that will be big in his eyes. If you scored 16 through 20, stop lying. (laughs) This is church, okay? Stop it. Let's pass the baton. Stand with me for closing prayer.